Hello again, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm going to go back and take another look at a book called The Search for Messiah. Mark Eastman and Chuck uh, Smith are the authors. I find this book fascinating because it's an area that I, I know nothing about, and that is, what did the ancient rabbis believe about Messiah, looking at their own scriptures? You know, many times uh, we are accused as Christians of going to the Old Testament passages that mention Messiah and say, oh, say, look at that. Hey, look at this part. Hey, check this out. It's all about Jesus. And we're often accused of reading into these passages things that really weren't there and that the Jews themselves did not believe in. So this book does an excellent job because they have all sorts of quotations from early uh, rabbis who looked at their scriptures and tried to figure out who was this Messiah? What was he going to be like? So I'm going to start early in the book. He talks about, uh, they talk about the hope during the Talmudic period. Okay, so first they, t they talk about the Old Testament. It's also called the Tanakh. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and it was completed by about you know, 400, they say, BCE. In other words, 400 years before Jesus. And they said by the time of 285, the Jewish canon of Scripture was completed, and then it was being translated into the common language of Greek. That's called the Septuagint. Um, he's, they say that the rabbis then began to compile commentaries on the whole Hebrew Bible. And at first it was oral, but they said by the time after Jesus, maybe 200 years, they're beginning to put them together into uh, books called Mishnah and Talmud, Targumim, and Midrashim in written form. So these ancient commentaries, that's what is going to be the heart of this book. They covered just about everything to do with Jewish law and traditions and social issues like marriage and divorce and land use. So all of that's fine. That's interesting. But the authors say, most importantly, these early Jewish uh, commentaries go into great detail about the Messiah. Obviously, I mean, it's really important to them. They quote from Alfred Edersheim, who is a renowned 19th century messianic scholar. And he says, if you look at these rabbis and what they said in their commentaries, he said all these doctrines like the existence of the Messiah before he came to earth, the elevation of the Messiah above Moses and even the angels, his character, the sufferings that he went through, uh, the violent death that he experienced and that the death was for his people and his work on behalf of the living and the dead, his redemption, the restoration of Israel, the opposition of the Gentiles, on and on and on, all these things, including his coming kingdom. Now, Edersheim says all of these can be clearly seen if you read what the ancient rabbis had to say in their uh, Talmud and other places there where they're commenting about Jewish law, yeah, but also on the Messiah. So they summarize as they end up this first chapter. It says, in the Talmud, remember those are the Jewish commentaries by rabbis, the Messiah is viewed as much more than just a man and much more than a prophet. So this is not, when, when Christians go back and say Jesus was the Messiah, and then the Jews and, and secularists are going to say, no, 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 you guys are just reading into that. The Messiah was just a nice guy. No, that's not what the, prophet, and that's not what the uh, rabbis said in their commentaries. So Messiah means anointed one, and there's evidence, they, the authors say, from ancient Hebrew scriptures that the Messiah would not just be a prophet and redeemer, but he'd be God in human flesh. 
So that's what they're going to say as they work their way through the book. Now, we can't do all of that in this one podcast. So I'm just going to take one more chapter that talks about the Messiah as the suffering servant. And there are comments all through the Hebrew Bible, passages about some kind of righteous servant who's going to suffer terribly. He's going to have physical abuse, and he's going to be mocked, and he's going to be derided and rejected, and finally he's going to be killed. Now, the catch is there's a huge split between Christian and Jewish scholars as far as who this suffering servant is. And they're commenting that, of course, Christians, ever since the church got started, claim that that's a reference to the Messiah. And all that business about rejecting, being rejected and suffering and dying was Jesus of Nazareth. And there are comments about uh, Old Testament prophecies of a suffering, rejected individual. Um, modern rabbis say, no, 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 uh, that suffering servant's not the Messiah. They claim he's either an unknown temple priest or maybe King Hezekiah or even the nation of Israel itself. And so the authors, Eastman and um, Smith, say, well, okay, it is popular now to say that in Jewish scholarship, but here's the key thing. That idea has not been held throughout the history of rabbinical thought. There's all sorts of abundant written material that they have looked at from ancient rabbinical sources that say the suffering servant is the Messiah. And then they have an appendix. I won't take the time, but good grief, an appendix of all sorts of places where Jewish commentaries by these rabbis indicate exactly that. The suffering servant is the Messiah. Well, then that made for kind of a tough decision there in the minds of these rabbis. What's going on? Because the Bible seems to have stories of a triumphant ruling and reigning king, but then you've got all these suffering servant prophecies. And it says some rabbis really struggled with that, and they began to speculate maybe there are two messiahs, maybe even more than two. And so that became a big thing because they saw that suffering information, but then they also saw the prophecy about the coming king. So, what I'd like to do is just take two passages that they look at regarding the suffering servant. And one is in Isaiah, and you probably know where I'm going with this. It's part of Isaiah 52 and part of Isaiah 53. And uh, so, I won't take the time. It'd be too long to read that, but you, you ought to take a look. Second half of Isaiah 52 and the first half of Isaiah 53. Especially when you read things like this. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. So you know all of uh, this information. This portion of scripture, they say, from the time that they wrote out these rabbinical comments in the Talmud, that's roughly 200 to 500 AD. Okay, this is right after Jesus. This portion of scripture was believed to be messianic. In fact, they point out that it really wasn't until 1100 AD that there was any other proposed uh, servant who that might be. And there's a Rabbi Rashi. He began to interpret the suffering servant as the nation of Israel. So that's not, that does not go back to the time of the earliest comments being made about this portion of Scripture. Okay, well, let's let's talk about what some of these say. For example, here's a comment from the 1st or 2nd century BCE. So this is really old. 
And uh, they say, Behold, my servant, the Messiah, shall prosper. And that's as they talk about Isaiah 53. So they're talking about as the Messiah. And according to this commentary, the Messiah would suffer martyrdom. He was the righteous one and would provide some kind of way for God to forgive our sins. And there's a reading from a, a prayer book that says pretty much the same thing. We shall be healed by his wound at the time that the eternal will create the Messiah as a new creature. So I didn't read the whole prayer, but here, here's the whole prayer uh, point by point. He would depart after an initial appearance. Something has happened to him, terrible. He'd be wounded, and he'd take on the yoke or the punishment for our iniquities. And by his wound, we would be healed when he would reappear as a new creature. Now, this is all from before the time of Jesus. Well, what about the Babylonian Talmud, which is just after the time of Jesus? There are a lot of commentaries, again, on Isaiah 53. Here's one. Talking about Isaiah 53, this teaches us that God will burden the Messiah with commandments and sufferings as with millstones. Here's another chapter from the Talmud. The disciples of the school of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi said, The sick one is his name. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows and pains. Yet we considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God. And another one says, King Messiah, he was wounded. Another one says, the sins are going to be put on the Messiah. Over and over, it talks about it's the Messiah who's going to suffer. So at least some of these rabbis in the ancient world believed the Messiah would suffer and that the sufferings were happening to that same person in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. So we'll get to that in just a minute. In the 11th century A.D., the interpretation of Isaiah 52 and 53 began to change. Remember, I mentioned that before. Rabbi Rashi came along. Now, he was a well-respected person. He began to change the interpretation. He said, no, it's Israel. It's not a person. It's Israel. But there were still many dissenters, and I won't quote them, but many dissenters said, no, it was the Messiah. So I'll leave that alone there. Well, so they point out that these references from ancient rabbis really do focus on the person they believe to be the Messiah. Ancient rabbis claimed that the suffering and death of the Messiah would do something powerful to free us from our sins. That's what the Christians believe. And there are several reasons that they point out that it really would not be the nation of Israel. I mean, try to read it and try to think about what it says there in Isaiah 53. Could that really be the nation of Israel? First, it says the suffering servant, that's Isaiah 53, 9, is going to be an innocent person with no sin. It says he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Well, Israel has had a sinful past. We all have. So how could that be? It says the suffering servant will be innocent. Secondly, it really can't be the nation Israel because the suffering servant suffers on account of the sin of others. Third, why can't it be Israel? The suffering servant is willing to suffer. Well, the Jews never really suffered willingly. And then finally, the suffering servant's end is death. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. Well, the nation of Israel has suffered a lot, but it has never died. In fact, it's brought back together again. So I thought that was fascinating that Isaiah 53, to sum this part up, Isaiah 53 looks toward a Messiah, according to Jews, 
Not according to just Christians, according to Jews, it was the Messiah. What about one more? Let's do one more verse, one more section of scripture here. This is Psalm 22. This is really disputed as well because the way it's described, it sure sounds like Jesus and the Jews have come up with an alternate explanation, actually an alternate translation. If you look at Psalm 22, it sounds like crucifixion. There's a rejection, there's mockery, and there's death of a righteous servant of God, one who trusted in the Lord. So the description of this does sound a lot like crucifixion. There's bleeding, there's dehydration, disarticulation when the joints are out, uh, dislocated. And says Christians, of course, are going to say this is Jesus. Well, here comes the controversial part. It's that word in there about pierced. If you look at Psalm 22, let me go back and find that here. It says, um, it sure sounds like crucifixion, especially the, the controversy is going to be the word pierced. If you look in here, it says, uh, I'll, I'll just do part of it here. The dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They, can't, they divide my garments, etc., etc. I want to go back to that word there, pierced. They pierced my hands and my feet. That sounds exactly like crucifixion. Well, there's the problem. Is that really what it said? Well, that's a controversy. So, But let's go back. This is what the two authors do. What did the ancient commentaries say? And what did the ancient translations say? So the most ancient translations of the Hebrew text are the Greek Septuagint, which happened around 200, 300 B.C., and some others. And it said they're translated using really ancient Hebrew manuscripts around 400 B.C.E., years before Jesus. Now here comes the key part. If you look at the ancient translations, in every case... That word pierced is translated either from Greek, uh, from Hebrew into Greek or Syriac or Latin. The word pierced. The word pierced again and again. Well, contemporary rabbis deny this and they state that Christians fabricated this translation. Some of them do. But that's not true. Pierced was that way in the Septuagint and other translations they were translated hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. It says, if you look in a modern Jewish Bible, they'll translate that word pierced as like a lion. Well, that's hugely different, isn't it? The Jewish Publication Society relies on the Masoretic Hebrew text for that translation. But that is roughly 800 to 1000 AD. The writers of the Septuagint, though, and these other early translations are way back. They're, they're dealing with the most ancient texts. And so something has happened there. It was, was there a changing of the text here? Um, the rabbis who wrote the Talmud interpreted it as messianic. The reading pierced was accepted, and that's the key part, was accepted by rabbis at that time. So that's where I'm going to stop here. It, it's, a, it's kind of a tough book to talk about. You almost have to see it so you can see the, the sections of Scripture they're talking about and see what the commentaries say. But I'm just trying to give you an overview of this. And so the two things you can take away, Isaiah 53, ancient rabbis did believe that was a messianic set of verses. And then Psalm 22 seems to suggest pierced as somebody put to death. If you read the whole psalm, it sounds like an execution. So this is not from the life of David. And so Christians rightfully can go to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and say these suggest Jesus. They're not twisting the scriptures. They're not doing something odd to it. 
they're being authentic to what the original uh, writers had to say in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Okay, well, I hope that makes sense, and uh, thanks for listening, and I'll uh, see you soon.